here's the warning. These ideas are not easy always to implement. But we have to begin from a foundation of truth and work towards it. You are listening to The JP Show, where we discuss the issues you care about from a Jewish perspective. I am Rabbi G. I am Rabbi Levy. And we hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, I'm Rabbi G. And today, in my opening message, I want to conclude, end off the discussion on trauma with something which is, I think, really, really critical and probably perhaps a uniquely Jewish message in line with the name of this podcast, the JP Show, Jewish Perspective. So we talked about trauma. Trauma is real, significant trauma, complex trauma, um, and preventing trauma and healing from trauma. And in the process of the discussion, lots of different things and important things came up, like connection with other people, um, physical well-being, you know, exercise, breathing, and so on, all that uh, all those issues to do with physical well-being because we become more aware, we're able to carry our emotions better, mindful living, being present in the moment, learning how to mar- manage our responses, how to manage perceived threats in a healthy way, putting in the hard work, nothing changes without really hard work, therapies, various types of therapies, things we did talk about, things we even didn't talk about, there's so many different types of therapies that people go to, or therapies for trauma-related issues like addictions and so on. Now, all of these things are incredibly important and necessary in the journey, in the process of healing. However, I think it is fair to say that, particularly from a Jewish point of view, that all of this can become, can only really work and can only be really effective with a foundation. That foundation is a very fundamental Jewish idea, the concept of faith and purpose faith in God, and living life with a purpose, the purpose that God has given us. Now, all that is connected, and let me run through sort of the points. So if we talk about faith and purpose, it, I would say it encompasses sort of four main ideas. Now, here's the warning. These ideas are not easy always to implement, but we have to begin from a foundation of truth and work towards it. Maybe it takes time to implement some of these concepts or to even have the mindset of some of these ideas. But we, f- we start with the truth, the eternal truths of Jewish teachings, and what are they? So let's go through these four things. First is that God is the creator of the universe. He is the only power of authority, and everything that is created and everything that happens in the world comes from him. Number two, we believe that everything is pratit. Everything that happens is by divine providence. He wanted it to happen, and it comes from him. Whether we think it's good, or whether it's painful, God forbid, or whether it's things which are totally beyond our rationale and intellect and we just don't understand it. However, we believe it's from him and it's part of his master plan. Number three is that he created each of us with a purpose, to live each day with a purpose, which means to have values, to live what I call from inside out. In other words, not to live by defining ourselves with what happens outside of us, whether it's to impress people, image, success, and so on, but more coming, what everything we do should be inspired by our connection to God and the values we have taught to us by his teachings, the Torah and the commentaries and so on and so forth. And part of that belief that he created us to live each day with a purpose comes with a statement of the Talmud that Ein HaKadosh Baruch Hu Ba'a which means that at the end of the day, everything that God expects from us 
Even if it's hard, we have the ability to achieve. We have the ability to carry it through, which means putting these things together so far is if everything is, he is the creator of everything and he created us for a purpose and everything that happens to us is by his divine plan, that means every experience that we have, good or painful or challenging, can be used for a purpose. Which leads us into our final point, and that is that we don't understand everything that happens to us and some things which are very painful we shouldn't even try to understand, we just need to accept and believe that it's God's will and accept that it is an experience of purpose so therefore we can grow from it and we can try to give meaning to it. Now I must point out this is a very hard concept sometimes to swallow, particularly if the traumatic or challenging experience that we experienced comes from other people. We know that when we say everything is from God, in divine providence, we go back to what the Talmud says, everything's in the hands of heaven, except for fear of heaven, which means everything that happens in our day is controlled by God, except for how we respond to it, the choices that we make. So for example, if the trauma I experienced was violence from someone else, that's that person's, that, that's person's choice. So how can, I, how can I sort of come to the, it's a big theological issue. How can I say, well, it's supposed to happen to me, where it was that person's choice, that person could have chosen the right thing not to hurt me. But yet, without going to the theological perspective now, because that's a very long discussion, perhaps for a different podcast, we do fundamentally at the end of the day believe that God wouldn't let something happen to me if it didn't have a purpose. And if it, and it couldn't happen to me, he wouldn't let it happen to me, notwithstanding that person's choice and the ramifications of that person's choice for that person. But nevertheless, if it happened to me, I need to accept it as something that I don't understand. It's a painful thing, but nevertheless, I need to use it for a purpose. It has happened. It is part of God's plan. And I need to grow from it and give purpose to it. Now, as we said before, this is not an easy thing to do. But the fundamental part that we need to understand is it is not something that happens automatically. In other words, if we experience trauma or if we experience something very challenging, it's not like we can turn on the faith switch all of a sudden. It takes time. We need to feel the pain. We need to have questions. Sometimes we have anger. Sometimes we question. Sometimes our faith weakens. Sometimes we're just angry with the world or maybe even angry with God. But we always need to remember that fundamentally, deep down, we always have that spark of faith, which is always there. That spark of the search and aspiration for meaning, which is always there. We just need to work hard, and it could take months, sometimes years. Um, there's so many stories of people that fundamentally wanted to get back to their faith, but found it hard, and it took time, and that's okay. But we start with that foundation, and that's where I want to land up. And if I understand that everything is for a purpose, ultimately, and everything is from, God, from God's plan, and everything that happens to me, I am in God's hands, ultimately, then it makes it easier, not, not shorter necessarily, but it makes it easier to get to that place of healing. Now, that doesn't mean the pain will ever go away. The pain might remain, but the inner fulfillment will be there. The inner joy will come when I know that I'm living my life with a purpose and with a focus and with a goal, and I'm connecting myself to God and to his plan, everything I do in each and every day. That's my opening remarks, and let's see where the discussion takes us. Andrew Blavy, go ahead. All right, so you mentioned something by the way there uh, in your opening message about how the pain doesn't necessarily go away. Um, I think that's a very important point, and I want to just stop there and focus on that for a moment. 
um, last week we spoke about this concept of post-traumatic growth versus just resilience, right? Resilience means you just come out the same. Post-traumatic growth means you actually grow from the trauma, from the pain. Which and I think, by the way, can, is only possible really if you have faith. And you, you view it not just as a random Because there was a purpose. There was a purpose, there was a purpose right, yeah. as we discussed um, quite late last week. And a part of that also is that the pain remains, meaning you, the pain itself sometimes propels the growth. Um, so someone told me a beautiful idea. He quoted Rabbi Jonathan Sachs of Blessed Memory. Um, and uh, it's based on a story in, in the Torah portion of Yishlach about our forefather Jacob, Yaakov Avinu. The famous sort of mystical story how he fights with an angel and uh, he ends up winning, although the angel dislocates his thigh, which is why the Jewish people are not allowed to eat the, the Gidham Nasha, a certain part of the animal, to remember that his thigh was dislocated. And at the end of the night, um, the angel uh, sort of gives a blessing to, to Yaakov, to Jacob, and he says that you'll be called Yisrael, which is why the Jewish people are called the Bnei Yisrael, this is where Israel comes from. Because you fought with an angel, you, and you won, basically. You fought with a divine angel, and you won over him. Um, which is, if you look at this simply, it means that Yisrael is, is really a name of strength. It's like a, you overcame, you went through a difficult thing, and you, you overcame it, right? But he points out a very interesting thing, that Yaakov Avinu walked away a little bit damaged from the situation, right? He walked away with a dislocated thigh, limping. Yet, we call him Yisrael. Yet we call him this, this name of, of strength. And he points out that's exactly the point. The point isn't that, Yaakov, that, 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 that Jacob walked away fully healed, fully okay from the experience, didn't affect him, and walked away as if, it was, as, as if it never happened. On the contrary, the effects remained. The pain was still there, yet he overcame it. And he became Yisrael, the father of, of, of the Jewish nation, which is an incredible message that when we go through something in life, painful, we don't necessarily have to get rid of the pain, actually. And not necessarily is that even possible. On the contrary, you, you learn how to live with it and you learn how to use that pain to, obviously, it's easier said than done. This is a very difficult journey, but you, you, you use that pain itself to, to drive you forward. What do you think about that idea? It's a beautiful, beautiful idea. Can I just, well, it's really a very nice idea. Can I just share a thought, a story, no, a, a, a memory of an interview that I saw yeah. that I think brings out this whole point so clearly, yeah. both what I was talking about before and, and what you just said. Um, it's an interview with a couple, and I've forgotten their name now, maybe you remember the name. A couple that was the, who were the founders of an organization you're called Bonet Olam. Rabbi Mrs. Bachner. Oh, Rabbi Mrs. Yeah. Bachner, that's right. Yeah. So they're a couple who had this incredible... A couple in, in Yeah, a Hasidic couple yeah. in Brooklyn. They never had children, um, tried all treatments, very had to knock on doors that they weren't familiar with. And at the end, kind of long story short, they came to the end of the road and they still, and they never had children. But they decided, in fact, it was more her that drove this, and eventually he came on board, that they have to dedicate their life to helping other people. And they built this incredible organization, millions of dollars. Bonet Olam, yeah. Bonet Olam, to build the world, to help infertile couples. Chapter is all over the world now. It's, it's incredible. It's, it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And they, I mean, they just have such meaning and such fulfillment for what they took their pain and channeled it into this amazing organization. Financial support, emotional support, counseling support, information support. And so on and so forth. And they know they, they know of so many children that were born um, because of the, their work. They've gone to bar, bar mitzvahs now. They're starting mm -hmm. to go to weddings even, which is an incredible thing. And it was just the most incredible, inspiring interview. And part of the interview, at the, towards the end, the interviewer asked them a question, asked him a question, and said, do you, feel, do you still feel the pain 
of not, have, of not having, having children. And without blinking an eyelid, he said, of course, every day, every day I feel that pain. So these are two people, and two things can be true at the same time. They can, they can both go together. At the same time, they have amazingly fulfilled, fulfilled life. Ironically, they accomplished something that wouldn't have been accomplished had they had children. Yeah. And yet, so they totally gave it meaning. They totally gave it purpose. They totally understood it's from God, and therefore it must be there to help us grow into something which will be incredibly meaningful, which they did, and the pain never went away. And, bo and both things happened together. And, and both things are connected. Not only both things together, actually Correct. one drives the other, which, Correct. Is, Correct. which is absolutely incredible. Correct. Um, I want to go off a little bit on a tangent, connected to things we've discussed in the past. This is going to be sort of the last podcast on trauma. Uh, obviously, we haven't covered everything. There's so much more to talk about. Um, we spoke about having support and, and, in general, the concept of having people around you. And, and, and in general, in, in our life, we have different relationships. The, the, the power of relationships in fostering resilience and strength in, in our lives. And obviously, there's... The relationship as parents, as spouses, as friends. And each one of these uh, relationships in our life play a very key role in remaining a healthy human being. Um, now, in, in all of those roles, right, there's, we need to be mentors and, and friends and, 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 uh, and teach people in, in, in our lives. But there's a certain balance, and I'd love to hear what you say about this, between being pushy and empowering. So let's, let's, I mean, each of these relationships are very different, obviously. Let's say friends, let's speak about friends. If you have a friend that's going through a very difficult time in their life, right? Um, whatever it is, tragedy, loss of a loved one. You don't want to just be there to listen and empathize, although that's obviously a very, very important part of that role. You're their friend and therefore you obviously sometimes have to give advice. You sometimes have to maybe push them a little bit, empower them. So I guess the question is, what is the difference between being pushy, which is annoying and very counterproductive, to empowering, to actually empowering the person to grow and to, to really heal? And also, how do you know if that's your place? Like, how do you know if my place is just to pay a shiva call, sit down, listen for 10 minutes, hear the person cry, you know, comfort them and then walk out and, and not really, you know, be there constantly to push them, to, to, to empower them, to teach them? Or is it my place to stay with them throughout the whole journey, hold their hand, and really somehow be there as a, as a real support? And, and if you are the support, what is the correct way of doing it? Okay, that's a, a very packed <laughs> question. Yeah. A lot of different things, and I think it's an excellent, excellent point. I think it's so important to, to bring up. So let me work backwards a little bit. First of all, about knowing your, your role. That's a really important thing, because sometimes people have a certain relationship with someone, and then suddenly, with a desire to help, they change their relationship, and that's a very bad thing to do at that time. I just heard a, um, I, think you, I think you listened to it too, there was a very uh, a, a great tragedy in a community in Florida, and there was a great rabbi and doctor, um, very leading psychiatrist, psychologist, head of a trauma unit in some organization, and he spoke to the crowd, and he gave them sort of pointers of how to handle traumatic, how to talk to your children, all that kind of thing. And one of the things he said about their children, because it was about the, the death of a child, unfortunately, um, and was how to relate to the other siblings. And he said something very, very simple but very profound. And he said, tell your children that if they were the best friend of the sibling until now, they should continue being the best friend. But if they, were, if they weren't the best friend of the sibling, they should not change their role. They should continue being not the best friend. Yeah. So if you have a friend, someone you see, you go for coffee once in a while, but I wouldn't call him or her your deep friend. 
and they go through a really tough time and they have to sit shiva, God forbid, or they just had a really tough time, show up for a few minutes, be there, don't avoid them. The worst thing is when people are going through a challenging time to be avoided. I've heard this from many people. Don't, don't avoid them, but don't all of a sudden become a mentor, a confidant, uh, a person who's going to push them. Absolutely not. Show up, be there, show you care. Sometimes a simple, like, if you want to talk, I'm here, but right? that's it. If you want yeah. to talk, I'm here, or yeah. I just wanted to show you, I, want, I wanted you to know that I'm thinking of you. Yeah. Something like that is so powerful, right? I just wanted you to know that I'm thinking of you and I wish you strength, or something like that, right? Yeah. Don't, don't play a role that you haven't played till then. However, part of the process of connection, as you said, is a real friend. One of the relations, one of the important relations is a real friend. I think you mentioned last week that Prakaya Vot says, the ethics of the father says that you need to have a mentor, you need to have a friend. Yeah. A real, interestingly, by the way, it doesn't say you have to have friends, it says you have to, friend. you have, to have a friend. Because mm. this, this type of friend I'm about to describe could be one friend. Right. But it's a friend. A friend is someone who you trust, who trusts you, who you trust will be there for you, will tell you things that needed to be said, and will not judge you at the same time. Mm. Right? That's a, that's a whole, that's a different level, right. right? If you feel that you're a friend of someone and you always have been a friend of someone in that way, and the same goes for, 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 for example, a rabbi who's very close to a congregant who, who, yeah. who has that role, right? Then firstly, there needs to be tons of empathy. There needs to be listening. There needs to be non-judgmentalism. There needs to be validation, all these things. But when you see, and if you're a real friend, and sometimes we, we get scared of this because we don't want to overstate, you know, we, we, if you're a real friend, if you're a real friend or a real mentor, and you feel the person is getting stuck or, or not moving along, it's okay from a place of empathy, not from a place of judgment, from a place of empathy to be tough and to say, you know what? Tomorrow I'm booking you into a therapist. Not my expertise. You said, how do you know what to do, what your role is? I'm, I don't have the expertise. I'm not going to give you therapy, but you need it. It's obvious right. that you need it. I'm right. going to book you in. You need to speak to this person, right? I'm, I'm going to push you. It's too long now. You're getting trapped. You're getting damaged. You're not moving on. I just read a book. A most, I'm, I'm not going to go do justice to the book now, but a most amazing book of a woman in California who experienced unimaginable trauma, loss of children. It's unbelievable. And it's a book about her journey, a beautiful, beautiful book. One of the things that stood out for me in the context of your question is she had this amazing friend. Yeah. Amazing friend who was always there, was always there when she was needed, was also tough. And there's some lines in that book where she says, and she realizes how, how or where it was coming from a good place, coming from a strong place, a true place, a real friend from before. And there were a couple of times she says, enough. Don't say, like, you've got to be quiet now. Or you've got to do this. I'm taking you for a walk. Or, or, or that kind of thing. Yeah. So I think the two... The, the two... Perhaps you can even go a little bit like, deeper behind this. Maybe, maybe like a person should ask themselves, if you're that friend, right, you're trying to help someone. Or if you're not, just you're trying to help people. And this, I think, is, is, is relevant not only to... Tragedy irrelevant to helping people in general. I think we always have to ask ourselves: Am I doing this for the person, or am I doing this to make myself feel great? Like sometimes, like I want to be that person who's going to save you, so I'm going to go and you know become your best friend after the tragedy because I want to make sure that. Yeah. I'm not saying the person necessarily feels you know it means bad, but nevertheless, it's more about me than about helping you. If the focus is I want to help you and it's nothing to do with me, then I think that'd be a lot more effective. And, and you'll end up making the right decisions. 100%. And I think it's true. I, you, you always mention this about, like, you know, for example, visiting the sick. Typical example, right? If someone's not well, you go and visit them. 
you know, if, if you stay there for longer than the person wants you to, and it's very clear that they're in pain and not really interested in talking to you today, and you're just staying there, it means you're staying there to make yourself feel good that you're visiting the state. Either you want to popular, you want to soothe your unconscious, right. whatever the case is, and it backfires. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I always discuss a lot about parenting in the previous podcast. Let's discuss something else a little bit. Spouses, right? So that's a little bit more complicated. And, you know, let's discuss it even in a more broader context than just trauma. You obviously... You know, when it comes to before you get married, you know, you want another person's values and you try to make sure your values align. That's obviously extremely important. What happens if after you're married, um, you, re- you know, people change, things happen, and you're not happy with the way your spouse is behaving, not necessarily towards you, actually. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, let's say, for example, you're a very religious person, you're very devout. And you really want that your spouse should pray a lot, and they're not praying a lot. It doesn't directly affect you, but it bothers you, right? Are we supposed to be, you know, is a wife supposed to be their husband's rabbi? Is the husband supposed to be their wife's rabbi? And if not, is there a way you can influence your spouse, not through being a mentor, but through being a spouse? How, how, how does that look like? And then obviously in trauma as well, how do you guide your, if your spouse is grieving, let's say, that's a more specific case, but just in general. So let me first of all borrow a phrase from a story I just heard from someone telling a story of something the Lubavitcher Rebbe told him before when he was going out and the values are completely incompatible. But in the conversation, the Rebbe said to him, a wife is not a student. <laughs> so if there's something that you need to teach her, that's not, that's not okay. Now, when I, I thought it was there and it's not there, a wife still isn't a student. A wife is never a student. Um, the only thing that does work, I think, in, in the experience that I have is respect, showing your own example, um, hoping that you can get the respect for the way you are, and showing passion and excitement for the values that you live by, and hopefully the other person will see how important they are to you, and at least will either respect them or might even come along the ride. So you, so you say that a spouse is not a student on the one hand, but we do learn from our spouses, right? We do... Meaning the whole idea is you're Not, learning about a different world. You're, you're discovering a new world when yeah. you marry someone. You're a student to your spouse. Your spouse is not your student. <laughs> right. Okay. Right. I think Fair that's enough. very different. Right. Yes, you should be understanding her or him. You should be learning from her or him. You should understand their world, their differences, and learn from them and grow from them. That means you should become, we should be, st- because at the end of the day, Pirkei Avot tells us, the ethics fathers tell us, that who is a wise person and learns from everyone. Right. If you learn from everyone, how much more so you learn from your spouse, Right. right. So yes, you should be their student, but they're not your student. Oh, you're not the teacher. Right. You, right. They can learn from you, but you're not the teacher. Right. It's different. And because we always have to talk about parenting, uh, because it's a topic I'm you know, concerned about. So obviously a parent is, to a very great degree, a teacher, right? That's our role, to teach our children values. And is there a difference when it comes to parenting between being pushy and empowering? Yes, Absolutely. Pushiness never works. It doesn't work at the teacher. It doesn't work with the ultimate teacher. A teacher in the classroom, it doesn't work. Especially if you're teaching values and you're not teaching knowledge. Right. Um, voice, they call, there's something in modern literature called voice to values, which means when you teach your child values, um, obviously some of that is instructional. I mean, you know, you're going to teach your child not to cross the road and they're not looking, right? That's right. The, but, but it's more, but like, if you want to teach your child not to steal, for example, right? Honesty, Right. One thing you don't do is you don't wait until they steal something from a friend in school and then give them a whole lecture on, not, on, on being dishonest. Right. It's not going to work. If it's something, you need to know what your own values are. And when you do need to know, 
Number one, you've got to talk about it a lot, not as an instruction, but more as a family discussion. You've got to teach about it. You've got to talk about it by the Shabbat table. You've got to just talk. If it's something important to you, why aren't you talking about it? And passion. You've got to be able to do it with passion. Right. And personal example. Those are the three things I talk about. Discussion. So there's got to be awareness. There's got to be information. Long before there's a problem. It's got to be part of the terminology, the language of the family. Yeah. Passion is very important because it's, it rubs off amazingly. And personal example, right? Um, obviously, if something comes up, once that's there, and once there's a warm relationship in general, then there's room for sitting down and saying, listen, that's not okay. And you never do that again kind of thing, right? right. But okay, that's fine. But that's in context of a much broader and much more effective instruction method. Mm. And that's particularly when we're talking about values, not so much knowledge. Knowledge is more instructional. I'm mean, gonna teacher teaches, even then, of course, you gotta get your students engaged and all that. But you're giving information, so you're teaching, you're instructing, it's different. But, and in parenting, of course, there's certain things like if you want them to make kiddush on a Friday night, or you want them to say a bracha before they eat, or you want them to talk to someone else with respect. So there's a certain element of instruction, but most of those values come through those three things, creating the culture of that in the home. Yeah. But I will say it is different to a friend and it's different to a spouse. Yeah. It's a position of authority. Parents definitely a position of authority. And that's our job. I always say, I I don't know if we said it on this podcast, but I always say, uh, when I talk about this in my Thursday morning lectures or other lectures, I say, I I make no apologies. I have indoctrinated my children. And I think every parent should indoctrinate their child. That's correct. Children don't make their own choices. Children need to be indoctrinated by your values. When they grow up, they make their own choices. They don't become your clone. How they live those values, you mean how they implement the values. There's so many different ways of doing it, and that we have to respect the individuality of the child. But I don't, I don't say, you know, I'm gonna let the child grow up, and then I'll make a choice whether, they walk, they, into, great, yeah. whether they walk into oncoming traffic or not. You don't do that, right? right? So values are the same thing. Values are things you have conviction, you believe in strongly, and therefore, yes, you've got to brainwash them. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. with your values, because you think they're important. Right. Just to end off with something that's sort of a general idea, because we've been discussing so much about the healing process, and we can discuss what Judaism had to say about this. A healing process is very rarely like a straight upwards climb, right? We all have ups and downs. Maybe you could talk to that for a little bit. Like if someone's going through a healing journey and they're doing well and then suddenly they're not doing well, right? Does that mean that the whole thing until now was worthless and suddenly I'm back to square one? Like what does Judaism have to say about this sort of zigzag journey, which I think is inevitable. I think it's just part of part of life. Well, it's part of life and it's, it's part of, the, it's part of the, the divine design, I think, right? But, but I think one of the most, there's a lot to talk about. There's one of the most fundamental concepts, I think, is something I once read in about Twersky's books, where he gave an analogy. He says, if you have 10 blocks in the street to walk, you've got to, you've got to go somewhere, and, you, and, you, and there's 10 blocks to walk there, right? right? And you walk seven blocks, and then you hurt your foot, and you fall down. Does that mean you undermine all the seven blocks you walked? You're still three, you're just three blocks away. There's a hitch in, in, in the way, but you right. still have accomplished. In spirituality, we find that even more. We know that there's a fundamental principle in, in Torah that any person, any success that you... So let's say, for example, let's say a person's working on their anger and they, and they really want to work on like, not losing their temper, right? And there's a guy that loses his temper 10 times a week, let's say, right? And he tries really hard and, and one week is really good and the next week uh, he does lose his temper, but four times instead of 10, right? This guy's an incredible person. For one week, he didn't lose his temper. That means not losing your temper for, for one week is a tremendous mitzvah. It's a tremendous accomplishment. Mm. It's, a, it's worthy of celebration. The next week, only, okay, you, no, but there's still not 10 times, only four times, right? So it's amazing progress. 
And what I did last week, if I was a good person last week, cannot be undone. Mm. And that's such an important perspective there because that is the tactic of what we call the Yetzirah. You know, the evil inclination comes to you and says, ah, you messed up anyways, why bother? Right. No, my bother is I, made it, I, I failed today, but I'm going to get up again. I'm going to rebound even stronger. I'm, I'm going to use this as a catalyst for thinking about why did I fail? Okay, why did I make this mistake again? What do I need to do to be even stronger in the future? And that's what life is. It's a big zigzag. Hopefully it's a graph that goes upwards with zigzags, but it's, 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 it, there, is, there is ups and downs without a question. Absolutely. All right, wishing everyone a lot of healing and joy and happiness. And no things. although we finished the um, discussion on trauma, lots of exciting topics to absolutely. come. Absolutely. So tune JP in. show continues. Absolutely. Tune in next week. And I think since we were calling this before Purim, it's appropriate to Purim Sameach. Purim Sameach. Thank you for listening to the JP Show. For questions, comments, and feedback, please email rabbig at bina, B-I-N-A, dot com, dot A-U. See you next time.